What's up, Gospel Hope? My name is Dahadi Lewis. I am the lead pastor of Blueprint Church, and I am excited to be here with you this um, afternoon, evening, however time, whatever time we're going to be watching this. I'm just really excited um, to be able to bring God's word to you. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. But before we do, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we do just want to thank you for the privilege that we have, Lord, in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for today. Lord, thank you, Father, that we are all um, sons and daughters, Father, that we're king's kids, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you today would help to remind us of that, Lord, and that we, Lord, in that identity, we would recognize, Father, what you have given us and how you have commissioned us, Father, to be, Father, the, the family of God as we go into this world. So Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. A sociologist once said that if you want to, if you want to change the problems or fix the problems in our country, you got to change the issue in the city. And if you want to fix our problems in the city, you got to fix the issue of the home in the city. And if you want to fix the problem of the home in the city, then you have to fix the problem of the lack of men or the lack of the father in the home of the city. If you search the web father, fatherlessness without, you know, on, on Google or whatever, if you search the web, what you will find out is that you'll see a lot of articles, a lot of statistics talking about the impact of fatherlessness, how it has impacted us, um, just the state that we are specifically in America with fatherlessness. And each one, you know, it, it, they, they all kind of summarize them like summarize it in this way. They all say something in their own words. Children who grow up in fatherless, fatherless homes have a greater risk of major challenges in life than those who grow up with a father in the home. You see, for me, I kind of experienced both for about four years of my life, my dad disappeared. My dad played professional football and, you know, and I spent a lot of my life idolizing him, desiring him but he did not take the impact of getting cut. And so at the age of 10, all the way to about the age of 14, I did not know where my father was. Um, he disappeared um, out of our lives and he wasn't there in those formative years. And I remember once as a grown up now here actually in Atlanta, Georgia, I was one of um, the people in our congregation was living in our home and she ended up breaking down on the side of the road. And while she broke down, I got in, you know, my car, went to the car, and it was, it was dust, it was dust, it was getting into dark. And I remember her having a flat tire. And as I went to go to help her to fix the flat tire, I remember getting so frustrated and so irritated because while I was trying to fix the flat tire, I recognized that I don't know how to fix this flat tire, right? And, and then it was in that time that of this, you know, part where I was just getting frustrated, what ended up happening was I started re reflecting, I was like, getting mad at my dad because I was like this is the stuff that my dad was supposed to teach me these are the things and I was getting so mad and so angry and I was trying to keep composure but the problem was is that you know as I got more and more frustrated I had to find some way to prove my manhood prove that I'm that I am that I'm all these things and here I am this I'm like this is my pastor as a pastor so I'm in here so a guy stops and he pulls over and then he gets out the car and he walked down and now it's getting a little, you know, a little, now it's about nighttime. 
So what happens is that as this man's walking in, I remember I was just like, oh, this is getting mad. And I was like, what is he up? What is he up to? Is he trying to rob us? What? And I got so frustrated and so angry that it was, it got to the point where I said, all right, if I can't prove that I'm a man by fixing this flat tire, I'm going to prove that I'm a man by, you know, get, you know, bucking up to this guy. This guy ended up asking, hey, do you guys need help? And I remember feeling so much shame, so much like guilt in that time. And really it came back to just the father wound that I had. The act, the fact that I had, that my dad did not do something. And I felt that that time, that period where I went in my life where I was fatherless, and this was only for a four year period. You see, but fatherlessness has a greater impact than a grown man throwing a temper tantrum on the side of the road, wanting to fight to prove his manhood. The impact of the wounds of fatherlessness in America is significant. Again, one of the things that we recognize about fatherlessness is that, that this, is a growing, um, this is a growing situation, a growing um, problem that we face in America, as the sociologist said. In the 1960s, they said only 11%, 11% of children grew up apart from their biological fathers. But when we, when we get, as we go further and further, by the 1990s, that number has grown. When we hit the turn of the century, they say that that number has jumped to now over 40% of Americans are raised without their biological dad in the home. And for the African-American community, that number jumps to 70 to 80% of African-Americans are raised without father in the home, which basically talks to, leads us to the impact the impact of the fatherlessness. How does that, this statistics and these issues impact our day to day? And again, searching on the web, there's, there's a few things and I'm just gonna list out a few of some of the statistics about fatherlessness uh, in the home. It says 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in fatherless homes. 85% according to the Texas Department of Cor Corrections. It says children without a father are four times more likely to be living in poverty. Children, and number three, children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out from school. Girls who live in a fatherless home have a hundred percent higher risk of suffering from obesity than girls with their father that's present. Teen girls, um, Teen girls from fatherless homes are also four times more likely to become pregnant before the age of 20. Children who live in a single parent home are more than two times more likely to commit suicide. 75% of rapists are motivated by displaced anger that is associated with feelings of abandonment from not having a father in the home. It says living in a fatherless home is contributing is the number one, is one of the number one contributing factors to substance abuse. Children, um, uh, children in such homes, 75% of adolescent, adolescent patients being treated for substance abuse centers are come from fatherless homes. 90% of youth in the United States who decide to run away, run away from fatherless homes. 63% of suicides are involved someone who's fatherless. Children who live in a fatherless home are 
more likely to sell drugs, carry firearms for offensive purposes than children without. I could go on and on and on. The impact of fatherlessness is affecting both men and women in our country. And this is why the sociologist says, if we want to solve the problem in America, we got to solve the problem of the city. And if we're going to solve the problem of the city, we got to solve the problem of the home in the city. And if we're going to solve the problem of the home in the city, we got to solve the problem of the lack of men, the lack of fathers in our home. You see, one of the things that we have to recognize is that we all have father's wombs. And these father wombs comes in all different types of shapes and sizes, whether it was we had an absentee dad, whether we didn't grow up with our dad, the wombs that we all have are significant. And the other thing is that we recognize is that we all need healing. We all need healing from the wounds. And I believe it's important that while we talk about some of the father wounds and we do all that we can, we need to seek for healing from not just our earthly fathers, but I think there's something in the church that we can offer that both from an earthly and a heavenly perspective that talks, speaks to this issues of fatherlessness, of, of fatherlessness, fatherlessness. So today, really what I want to do is I want to talk about is how can the church solve the impact of fatherlessness in our country? How can the church solve the impact of fatherlessness in our country? And really what I want us to kind of take away from it is this, is that the church has an opportunity to introduce God as our father to a world who has significant father wounds. To father wounds. I don't think it's by accident that the number one thing that we see God expressing himself in the Bible is that of father, of father. And so I want to look, kind of build a case, and I want to look at this from a theologically, therapeutically then I want to look at it conceptually and then end with practically one of the ways that we can go about doing it. If you have your Bibles, again, open up with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 14 and 17. This is built out off of the Romans 8 passage, the famous passage. Was, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It has, and after he deposits the spirit in us, what we see is that this idea that he adopts us into Family. So Romans 8, 14 reads this way. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. At Blueprint Church, we have a saying that we constantly um, champion, and that, that saying is that the church is not like family, but the church is family. And if the church is a family, we recognize that God is our father, Jesus is our elder brother, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That this is not some make-believe, but this is truth. That God truly is our father, Jesus really is our elder brother, and we really are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not like play cousins, right? This is real. We are real. This is the identity in which we have. So how do we know this? How do we know that we are family, and the church is family, in which God is our father? And why is that significant? 
Why does Jesus use the father metaphor or um, to describe his relationship to his children? Why is that the number one thing? We see this happening theologically all throughout the scriptures. And the best way to describe this is that when we see it, you, that God the Father uniquely presents himself as our Father, and he, and he uses this in that father-son relationship that he introduces us in Matthew chapter 3, where we see this idea of this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, that there's this father-son, this unique relationship that we have because of the sonship that he has that he's created in Jesus Christ. And this is what you see in that very first part of Romans chapter 8 and 14. It says this, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You see, he states this as a fact. He states this as an identity that when we recognize that we are, when we are saved by grace, that we are adopted, we are brought in, we become children of God the most high. We are king's kids. And being king's kids comes with a certain identity that you and I have. Do you understand this idea of father is something that the Old Testament saints would not have done, uh, would not have um, perceived of in just this a natural sense. That father in the Old Testament is mentioned only about 10 times in all of the Old Testament. We see it in Deuteronomy, First Chronicles a few times, Psalms, them, Isaiah and Jeremiah are the primary thing, times that we see it, that this idea of father is a, is a concept that is not mentioned very often, but there's something that takes place at the, in the New Testament. There's something that takes place when Jesus goes from heaven to earth to show us that he is identified as son, that he is establishing something, that God is breaking 400 years of silence that, that he had in the intertestamental period, and he identifies himself as with this father-son relationship that we see. So when we recognize now Father in the New Testament, that that is mentioned numerous times. It's mentioned over and over and over again. Jesus is introduced to us as our Father in a way that is unheard of in all of the New Testament or the Old Testament. So, and this is one of the foundational reasons why there that the, the Jews were in like enraged by Jesus's claims because he claimed to have a special, unique father-son relationship that was not um, kind of brought about in the Old Testament. The Old Testament knew him as God. We know him as both God and father. And he's revealed that through us, through his son, Jesus Christ. And he is the one who gives us, Jesus is the one who gives us access to the Father. So when we first see this first part of Romans chapter 8 and 14, we see it very therapeutic, I mean, very theologically, for all those led by God's Son, God's Spirit, are God's children, are God's sons and daughters. So theologically, it's just a fact. The second thing that we see is that we see this idea that after we understand it theologically, but it's also therapeutically. So he says four, and he's given us a reason that he, the first reason was that theologically we were built this way, but another reason is that for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
If we are going to overcome the father wounds that you and I have, the father wounds of a fatherless nation, a growing fatherless nation, what we have to recognize is that we have to heal and bring wholeness to the wounds left by our earthly fathers. And what we see here and what we're going to look at is that it, that it is brought up that the emotional whole, wholeness, the scars, the trauma that has been brought up. Remember, here I was with only missing my dad for four years, wanting to fight because of the absence there. And we see the statistics of all the different the variations of what has taken place of men and women or boys and girls that are grown up without fatherlessness. There are significant trauma, significant wounds that are taking place. And so what we see is in Romans, it says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And that word fear is the Greek word phobos, that you are not going back to your fear your phobos or your, where we get the word phobia, to control you in every day. That God has given us something new to control us, to lead us, to guide us, right? But it is not the impact of our father. You see, we, one of the things that we got to recognize is that the health of our relationship with God determines the health of our relationship with others. This is significant. Because ultimately, a lot of us, and if we flip that on its head, a lot of the way we see God, the way we see God is the same way, or I'm sorry, the, the way we see our fathers is the same way oftentimes we see God. If we see kind of our father in this kind of, he loves me, he loves me not, a lot of times we project that same reality that we had with our earthly fathers onto our fathers. The same wounds that we had with our fathers are the same wounds that we bring to our heavenly father. And what he is, what he is saying is that, that when we are adopted as his children, we are not to fall back to that former way of thinking that phobos, that phobia, that self-protection that we have because we always think that there is constant danger that is around because we've lost the protection that our father brings. Again, going back to that, the 400-year period at Jesus' baptism, he says, this is my son. There's an identity. There's an affirmation. And what does he say after that? He says, in which I am well pleased. There's many of us to this day are still waiting to hear those words from our father, our earthly father, that you are my son, you are my daughter, and I'm pleased with you. I love you. I'm excited about who you are, what you do. You see, that, that this idea that that's what would end the gospel, that's what the father does for us through Jesus. It's not about, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. He says he loves you. He loves me. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the, the coming of his son. And so we, we did not receive a spirit of slavery that leads us back to living with fear, but we have a heavenly father who's there with us. And so theologically, we recognize that therapeutically, as we interact and as we engage in everyday life, we see that. But also we see it conceptually, conceptually. Again, verse 15, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He says, instead, he gives us the alternative. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies, 
testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Again, there's this reality that you and I have that we just testify. There's this inner, inner, inner witness that cries out, and those words are Abba, Father. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, that God is our Father. Jesus is our elder brothers, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the two primary modifiers that we see um, of Father throughout the New Testament, we see in this passage. And in it, it brings out both God's authority and God's intimacy, right? And so when we recognize and we conceptually understand God as Father, he is both Abba and he is Father. What we see with the first one is Abba. That is, this is the God's capacity for intimacy, for intimacy. This is where we understand who we are and just understand our identity. In, the, in this passage, we see this idea. That word Abba is, an, is in an Aramaic word, which basically is kind of like, it's sort of like Babel. It's like, it's, it's childlikeness and it's like Papa or Dada. Right? There's this intimacy. The, the images is, is like this idea of that you just kind of climb up on your daddy's lap. And you just hug and like there's no concerns, there's no cares in the world that you feel the, the protection, the intimacy, the love, the bond that you have, that you can get, that you have with the Father. So what, what Paul is saying is that when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you are adopted into God's family. You are able to climb up on daddy's lap. And, he, and as his child, you have this relationship that is so deep, that is so personal that you call him daddy, daddy. So my question is, Gospel Hope, is this, is are we, do we still have that type of relationship with our maker? That we are, we, every day we climb up into his laps, this thing that we call quiet time. Do we go up and climb in his lap and say, daddy, daddy, I love you. Daddy, speak to me. He says, this is what we get to have. But then not only that, we, what we see is not only do we get this love and this intimacy, we also get to see God's protection, his provision, and his kingship over us because we see God's authority. Because he sees as he is seen as our heavenly father. Our father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so on one end, we get to see his love and his intimacy, but on the other hand, we get a chance to see his strength and his sovereignty. We are king's kids. There's no weapon that's formed against us that will ever prosper. That there's this discipline that he has. There's this protection that he has as father that we have, that we get to understand that. I used to all oftentimes talk to my children, you know, and was like, hey, hey, I'm going to throw you guys, leave you guys in the middle of downtown Atlanta. And this is when they were really young. They were like, no, don't do it, daddy. Don't do it. Like, I'm scared. Please don't do it. And then after that, I was like, but I'm going to stay with you. They was like, oh, okay, I'm good. I didn't change the circumstance of how bad it was or how they, the perception of downtown was during that time. But what happened was it was in the midst of that. They was like, oh, all is well as long as I have my father with me, right? And you see, this is an important fact for us that in the midst of 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of racial injustice, in the midst of all these things, the question is, is are, are we able to go to our God as both Abba, and father, intimate daddy relationship, but also protector, sovereign father that's there to make sure that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, that he's always there with us to bring us there.
So what does this mean? We look like because it goes back to the very beginning. For you and I, we have if we are born again believers in Jesus Christ, we have daddy, we have father. But for so many in the world that we recognize they are raised without a dad in the home. So what is what can this look like for us as a church practically? Practically and what I want to present to you today is one way we can introduce God as Father is through adoption. In the same way we see that the Holy Spirit has adopted us, God the Father adopted us into his family, we have the ability to adopt others into our family. I want to share with you three significant numbers, three significant numbers. The first is this, 400,000. 400,000. The second is 350,000. And the third one is one. One. 400,000 are the approximate amount of kids that are currently in the foster care system. 400,000. 350,000 is the number of churches with a physical building in the United States. The number one or the one I want you to remember the most is that number one because it represents the number of children each church would have to adopt to put the foster care business out of, foster care service out of business here in the United States. Let me say that again. If every church simply took on the responsibility to adopt one child from their church, we could end the orphan crisis in America. You see, the church has the opportunity to be a tangible expression of fathering to the fatherless, of mothering the motherless. The church is not like family, but the church is family. You see, the church being the church is one of God's primary ways to end fatherlessness. This is one of the ways that we can be fathers to the fatherless in a, in a tangible way, in a spiritual way, in, a, in an adoptive way, in so many other different ways. It's a chance for us to truly take on the responsibility of discipling. We see in 1 Thessalonians, this is the very mindset that Paul, as one who is adopted by Jesus, understands that that's what he understood in his discipleship. He says in verse 2 and 7, 2, Chapter 2 and verse 7, he says, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as, as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. For you remember our labor and our hardships, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We preach the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God. And how devoutly, righteously, and blameless we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, as a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. One of the things that I know about you, and one of the things that I know about every human being that has ever walked the earth, whether that you had a father or did not have a father, whether he was absent or he was not, 
is this, that there's three driving needs that every human being needs. Number one is that we all have a need for security. Number two, we have a need for significance. And number three is that we have a need for strength. You see, as a church family, we have the ability to open up our homes, open up our doors, and to um, carry out this ministry of adoption, both spiritually when we're calling people to repentance and to come to know, but also physically we get a chance to model that as human beings adopting the fatherless to the least of these, those that are vulnerable, that we have that ability to provide to, the, to meet those three needs, that a need for security can be met with a need, with, with the presence of a secure love, a love that will never leave you, a love that will never forsake you, a love that we all know is supposed to be, become in our family, in our nuclear family. But we also have a significant purpose, that we have the ability to continue the Father's business, continue his business in adoption, that we can do that both spiritually by calling people, but also physically in adoption and a strong hope that we have the ability to, for those who are hopeless, those who read these statistics or listen to the statistics that we heard, that they can now have a greater hope, a greater desire, that that does not have to be their story, that we have that ability, church, to bring about hope in this. You see, the sociologist said that if we want to solve the problems of our country, we have to solve the problem in the city. And if we want to solve the problem in the city, we have to solve the problem in the, in the homes. And if we want to solve the problem in our homes, we have to solve the problem of the lack of fathers, of the lack of men in our homes. This is something that Angie and I, my wife and I, has taken very seriously. You know, and after, after us having um, four children, we said we wanted to have more, but we wanted those children to be adopted. And so we went into a process of adoption and over the course of um, about a year, year and a half, we, we were really praying and asking the Lord to just show up and to be present and allow us to open up our homes and to, um, to adopt a child, to adopt someone into our family so that we, for just one, we can change the trajectory, prayerfully change the, tra the trajectory of what our statistics tells us, just one. And God, through his grace, gave us the ability to adopt two of our, two of our sons that I, that I would never give up for anyone. And, you know, and, those, and two of our children that we got a chance to bring into the family, there was so much emotional trauma, so much baggage, so much damage that, they, that, that the statistics probably would have ended up being their story. But by God's grace, we had the ability to be the church of God, to be the family of God, and to introduce them and to show them that they had a father that never left them, that never forsook them, that they have a father, both a heavenly father and an earthly father that loves them that sees them, that cares for them. You know, and, and on that day, one of the things that gave, that gave me so, so true here was a secure love. That in that adoption day, I remember the judge telling us, he says, you know, if do you want to adopt these children? And we says, yes, we are here. We want to adopt these children. Do you know that if you do adopt these children, you, they will forever be a part of your life. I was like, yes, I understand that. He says, even to this point, he says, your natural-born children, you can write them out of your will. He says, but it is illegal for you to write out your adopted children out of your will. 
And at that point, it just brought me to tears because I got the chance to see the hope of the gospel. The fact that we, you and I, as adopted children of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, has the ability to understand that he has decided, that he has chosen us, that he has adopted us. And in his adoption, that there's a security that we have that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. And that, more than anything, changed the way I even seen that, this, this, the adopted story that you and I have with our Father and that we get a chance to participate as joint heirs, as family members in this family business. And the question is, is that as we look at it theologically and as we go through our own therapeutic journey and as we begin to understand this conceptually about Father and, 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 and Abba, that we get a chance to practically, as we're both calling people to repentance, but at the same time, uh, being able to adopt people physically into our family. And we get a chance to introduce them to more holistic health and holistic healing. And so we gotta understand church is that Jesus provides a way for the church to establish him as father and to overcome the fatherlessness that is ravishing our nation, both theologically, therapeutically, conceptually, and practically. God is inviting you and us to join in this, in his family. And the church has an opportunity to be a tangible expression of God's love as the father of children, as we get a chance to father our children in our communities. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the love that you've given us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we think about all of the opportunities that we have, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would stir up in our hearts, Father, the, the journey of the Bible, Lord, as, as you as Father, and our ability and our opportunity to both be healed from that, to embrace that, and to deliver that to a lost world that is impacted by the fatherlessness of our, of our time. So Father, we pray for your will to be done. We pray that every church in North America would take on that one, and that you would spark a movement and we would be able to take, put out of business the foster care system, Lord, and we would be able to adopt this boys and girls, Father, and change the trajectory of our nation. Father, we humbly submit to you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.